Hello and welcome again to our weekly broadcast of apologetics.live. Uh, <laughs> Apologetics.watch. I don't even know what my own ministry is called, but thank you guys for tuning in. I'm so happy to uh, have you guys back and really excited about today's program where we will be continuing our uh, interview with Bradley Campbell of the ministry uh, GodLovesMormons.com. And uh, hopefully you guys were able to watch last week's uh, interview. If not, do that later. Stay tuned for this one. It's, it, this is better. You guys are wearing uh, the same shirts. Uh, yes, and uh, it is uh, for those who might be paying attention. We we haven't changed in a week. Or maybe we recorded this the same it's, week. It's taken us a week to actually get everything. I'm just taking out. now to, to upload it. Anyway, so uh, welcome back, Bradley. It is awesome to have you with us it's again. It's good to be back. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, before we dive back into our discussion, uh, just tell us a little bit more about your background, how, what brought you out to Utah, and what, uh, what it is that you do out here. Mm. I mean, you're, in addition to being involved in, with uh, God Loves Mormons, and let's face it, we watched one of you guys' videos last week, and it was a different dude on there. It wasn't you. <laughs> what, what, what is it you do? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I came out to Utah originally in 2017. I went to Moody Bible Institute and I was a church planting major. And as a part of that major, I had to uh, do a residency internship at a church plant. And so I got in touch with my former youth pastor who had moved out to Utah to plant a church. That was Pastor Rich, the one on the video. <laughs> and uh, I came out here in 2017 with no plans of staying out here. I was just going to finish the internship and then go back home. But a couple I mean, maybe a month, a month and a half after being out here, uh, really was doing street evangelism kind of stuff. Really, that's really was compelling to me. But uh, the ministry field out here, uh, the the need for good Christian churches and ministries and Christian infrastructure was very compelling to me. And uh, so I, I uh, felt that the Lord had providentially guided me to, uh, to end, uh, end up staying in Utah. So I went back to Illinois, where I'm from, the western suburbs of Chicago. I uh, raised support. And I came out here, or I got married. That's an important detail. Got married when I was home and then came out here. don't want to leave that one yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, no, don't want to leave that out. Came out here with my wife early 2018 uh, to uh, permanently be a part of ministry here in Utah. So most of the time what I'm doing is I uh, work at the Mission Church, fully supported from out of, out of state to be there and do that. And I help out with various things. I do uh, youth group, young adult stuff, um, children's ministry stuff. Uh, I'm learning, kind of apprenticing about uh, how to be a pastor. And the idea is someday to plant a church uh, somewhere in Utah. Um, and so I've just kind of put the training wheels on, as it were, learning about all that. Um, yeah. So, oh, uh, a... <laughs> yeah, you and I have have had a lot of opportunity to spend out on the street there. Yeah, significant. Uh, Almost every, uh, every week for a good chunk of this year, with a couple of exceptions. Like winter, like winter. That's that was one big exception. Oh, uh, you see Aaron there, uh, in there too. Pretty yep, sure yep. The and that's we. Yeah, we do have a tendency to take the really cold months off. I, I, part of it is it's practical a little oh, bit. Yeah. yeah I'll, what about in season and out of season? <laughs> this is what we do out of season. Yes, so that exactly. We... <laughs> and and, uh, and let's face it, 
out of season, there's no one out there to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> they, and when, and when, when you try to stop them, hey, can I tell you about, I want to get inside. I want to get inside. <laughs> I'm trying to have the conversation. Can you go? Here's the gospel. <laughs> Repent, believe, so I could go home and cold. Just kidding. And it is kind of rough in winter. You know, you want to warn people about judgment and the fires of hell, but at the moment, You're not really, it doesn't sound sounds pretty good. scary. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so anyways, yeah, street evangelism is such a precious part of what we do out here. There's a picture of my wife and I out here uh, earlier this year uh, with those uh, Godless Mormons tracts and my uh, trusty little side um, man satchel thing. I don't know whatever you want to call it. <laughs> my Bible purse. It's not a, no, okay, it's way too big to be a purse. It's, it's. Never take a look. Is it a purse? Put it in the comment purse. section. <laughs> it's a... Put it in the comment section. I want to hear who thinks that Bradley's wearing a purse. All right. If it's a purse, it's a very stylish purse. I got so. You're, I you're not helping that. yourself, actually. It's not <laughs> Yours is good. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, look, I'm clean shaven there. Yeah. And then this uh, this next one, you, you can talk about that. Uh, other than the. Uh... Oh wait. There we go. <laughs> other than the bizarre look on my face there, uh, this this picture reflects one of one of the happiest times in our ministry out here. Yeah. Um, Definitely a highlight. It was, it was great that we were, you know, that was out at Manti, um, which for people who don't know, that's, uh, um, it's, uh, used to be this past year was the last year of it, but it was a pageant that the Mormon church would put on in a city, uh, called Manti, Utah, where, Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people would come out and night after night there would be thousands of people in the street and Christians would come from across the country and a few, I think, even internationally, as I recall, yeah. and would uh, would come out and we would get to spend time just evangelizing them and Christians from every walk of life, evangelizing Mormons and their just unbelieving neighbors and friends that they were bringing out there. And so... But what this picture brings <laughs> us back to, though, is Christian Coffee Shop there. Oh, my goodness. Talk about the Christian Coffee Shop. All right. So um, I, it's one word, bagels. They have the most ridiculously good bagels I've ever had. And I didn't even know bagels could taste like that. Pretty sure in heaven, uh, it will just be a, a copy of that place and those bagels. And that will be, it's like the Tree of Life. And then Solid Rock Cafe. Solid Rock Solid Cafe. Ro That's it's, the name yeah. of it. If you ever happen to be in Manti, Utah, Solid Rock Cafe, stop in. Take a vacation, uh, it, like go, yeah, go fly go there, there to, to get try it out. They've also got, if you look at the picture again, look behind me especially, Bible. It's Alex. Uh, <laughs> you see art, art, uh, biblical ar uh, archeological artifacts, things like that. They've got a little museum in there. It, it really is a wonderful place, it, a great little Christian ministry out there. And it's actually in, who? who uh, no, no, the, uh, whose house was that? I don't remember. Chip Thompson, I think. Or... Oh, no, 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 the, no the, the former the house that it meets in, it was the, uh, the coffee shop was converted from, was it Lorenzo Snow's house? No. Uh, I don't know. Front next to Snow College. I, it is one of the I presidents. Thought, thought, I'm pretty sure it is Lorenzo Snow. College. That's what I thought. I thought it was his actual house. It's his house that they got. Maybe a relative? I don't know. All right, anyway. Okay, well, anyway, take our, you know, Look don't, it up. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. But at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, don't quote me on that. But you should go check it. Interestingly out. enough, we're talking about what is reliable and trustworthy in this session, and uh, clearly that's not us. So uh, just kidding. 
Which is why you should never believe a word that we say, which is why we try to point back to the word of God. Yeah, in all seriousness. That is yeah. Yeah. what is trustworthy. Right. So we left off last week. We had looked at, as you recall, the two answer, the two biggest questions that in any evangelistic conversation you want to bring things back to. Mm -hmm. um, those, uh, and that being, who is God and how are we made right with God? Um, mm. And so God and salvation. Yep. And, uh, and so, but where we left off was, okay, but the pushback where you're almost going to end, almost always going to end up running into some roadblocks is on that issue of yes, but how do I know that those things are true? Mm. I mean, you're 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 pointing to these verses. How do I trust that? And and in fact, on the issue of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you can show as you did through Romans, or we talked a little bit in John, John and various yeah, places that you can systematically walk through while staying in one book and show those things. And yet the one of the most frequent pushbacks you're gonna get in one way or another is, yeah, but Paul may have said that, John may have said that, but didn't James in chapter two say faith without works is dead? Mm, yeah. And didn't they, you, know, you see verses like uh, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Yeah, so and if we're saying that what we... What would you say to that? We're saying we trust the Bible. You know, we're, uh, all of this is built not on our ideas. We're not appealing to our, uh, you know, uh, very intelligent uh, Christians in history. Oh, because they said this, it's true. No, we're saying because the Bible says this, we believe it's true. And so if the Bible says, like it does in James, that... Uh, wait, it's actually by works that we're, uh, we're saved, not just faith alone, it's works too, then we, we need to seriously consider that. The Bible's our authority. If it says that, we, we need to trust what the Bible says, if that's how we're arguing, uh, the, the basis by which we're arguing. And so dealing with James 2 is very common and very significant because it shows not only do we believe that, uh, yes, salvation, uh, justification specifically, is, is by faith alone, uh, as we walk through Romans, not only are we still showing that that's consistent in the Bible, we're also demonstrating that, man, as Christians, we deal with texts that may sh look like they shoot down what we think. If we're wrong, we don't want to just grip something that's wrong. We want to know what's true and believe what's true. And uh, so with that said, let, let's look at James real quick. Um, I think that the s best thing to do with this stuff is... is open the Bible with someone, read it through, uh, ask them really simple, you know, comprehension questions. Uh, what does this mean? If you look um, at the, the very first chapter of James and verse 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and, it, and, at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and uh, perseveres, uh, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who, who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James introduces this idea of a person who hears what he should do and doesn't do it, and a person who hears and does it. Two kinds of people, the person who hears what he should do does and, and does it, and the person who does it. So when we go then to chapter two, uh, we look at uh, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is saying is anyone can claim, I have faith, I believe. But if that person does not demonstrate by their works that they genuinely believe in Jesus, they genuinely believe the word that God has revealed, and they act on that. Um, yeah, it's, I, you know, it, it, it would be like if I was walking around outside a bank telling everyone on the street how much faith I had in that bank. I trusted that bank so much, but I had all of my money in a briefcase chained to my wrist. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're saying you have faith, but you're not acting Showing, on yeah, that faith. Exactly. And I find it interesting that as you read through, we obviously won't read the whole chapter here today, though it would be a good idea with your, uh, with your Mormon friend and neighbor mm -hmm. to actually walk through just the whole thing. But, uh, but the examples, the Old Testament examples that he uses are not people keeping law. He uses the examples of Abraham sacrificing his son and Rahab betraying her city. And hmm. these are not inherently virtuous yeah, sure. acts. Right, right. To, to sacrifice a son or to betray a city are not inherently virtuous acts. What, these are examples, however, of somebody who trusted God so much that when God said, Abraham, sacrifice your one and only son, which is your only hope for me to fill my, fulfill my promise. Abraham had more faith in God's promise than he did in the yeah. tangible. And so he was willing to bring the knife down. And of course, God stopped him. God did not actually. And that and, demonstrated. A it faith showed that, that was he had a faith that was faith. already exactly. there. Right. It justified his claim to having mm -hmm. faith. Um, not that he didn't really have genuine faith until that happened or that the faith wasn't enough. Earlier in Genesis, God already says that he had accounted his faith as righteous. Right. Uh, that, that's earlier before. Several chapters. Yes, yeah, but yeah. before that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and in the, in the same way with Rahab, she trusted that God was going to keep his promise to Israel. Mm -hmm. And therefore, she believed in God enough that she said, no, I'm not going to fight against Israel. Yeah. No, I'm going to be on the side of God's people because I trust and believe in God's promises. So she was acting out of faith. So it wasn't that she was doing good works, doing virtuous things, fulfilling laws and ordinances, but that her faith led to action. Yeah, I think it's significant that the chapter says even the demons believe that God is one that they shudder. Like there's a kind of belief that does no good. They're not helped by that belief. And so the person who does not demonstrate that their, their faith is genuine by their works, by their deeds, um, that person does not have genuine saving faith. We can uh, only affirm the faith of someone who has works that show that their faith is valid. And that's what James is dealing with. James is not saying, this is how you get saved. This is how you have eternal life. Right. That, that's not right. his point. That is Paul's point. And so we need to look, what was he trying to say in there? He was trying to encourage believers, you need to act in accordance with, what, with, with your faith. You need to actually obey that which is, is right and true. And that demonstrates that you actually do have. Yes, you're faith. dealing with a situation where persecuted believers, uh, you go back to the beginning, it's all about suffering and and uh, all the various trials that they're going through. And so you have these suffering believers who are being instructed what real faith should look like. But that's 
on the other side of salvation. Yeah. As you mentioned last week, when Jesus himself was asked straight up the question, what work do we do? What is the work? How do we work the works of God? Mm-hmm. Um, and his answer was to believe. Right. Uh, the, that any time the, the, the New Testament sets out to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? It's very consistent. It is consistent. Yeah. And so James is not contradicting that. Right. It is dealing with a different question. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, so we demonstrate, we really do trust the Bible. And as Christians, that is our authority. Um, the Bible is how we determine what's true. But if you ask a Latter-day Saint, what do, what do you use to determine truth? Um, very rarely, I'm thinking, I don't think I've ever had someone say the Bible. Um, almost all the time they say, well, I, I prayed about what I believe and that's how I know that it's true. Have you found that uh, yourself oh, too? A- a- absolutely. And, uh, and it was, so what would you say to that? I mean, mm. prayer's a good thing, right? Is it wrong to go to God and ask him for answers? Why, why, why shouldn't we do that? Well, I think what we, we need to consider is that um, the way in which God reveals things may not be the way that we want him to or expect him to reveal things. And so uh, they, when, they, when uh, Latter-day Saints, when they're saying we pray about it, they take a feeling that they experience um, as the confirmation of their prayer. So the idea of praying for God to guide us and lead us and reveal truth to us is certainly biblical. We would never say that we shouldn't do that. Of course, pray to God that he would reveal truth to you. But the way that God answers that is never said to be by what our heart feels. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about whether or not we should trust our feelings and experiences and our heart. Absolutely. If you look yeah. at uh, Proverbs, I th- there's a couple of verses that are really pointed here. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So someone can be fully convinced in the, their heart that something is genuinely right or true. They can be convicted of its truth, but conviction does not make something true. Sometimes I'll use uh, the example of um, the terrorists in 9-11. Uh, they were convicted, the, the, uh, the Islamic uh, terrorists, they were, they were convicted of what they believed was true. Their conviction was strong enough for them to uh, take dramatic steps um, to honor what they believed was right, but that did not make it correct. And uh, for the most part, Latter-day Saints and Christians would agree that, that uh, Islam is not correct. It's not genuine truth. And so just because someone is convicted about something, a way that might seem right to him in his heart, it doesn't make it true. And additionally, I've had people say, oh, well, all you need to do, just take what the Bible says, put it, uh, uh, just close it and pray about the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon, uh, pray about if Joseph Smith is true, pray about those things. Um, And my response is always uh, Proverbs 28.9. I think this is a really great verse for this. It says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, even his prayer, is an abomination. Mm. And so when they say, mm. well, just just uh, pray about the Book of Mormon, I say, I, my God will not allow me to forget what this has said. My God has told me that if I do not listen to what I know he has revealed in his word, in, in his law, in his instruction, then my prayer is an abomination. 
And, and I mean, if we, if we had time, we could walk through places where the law and the prophets, the words of Jesus and the apostles all give specific tests that we are commanded to apply to a prophet, mm. to a spirit, to a, and, and we'll look at some of that. But the point being, if God has said, Someone comes claiming to be a prophet. This is the way you test them. And I say, no, never mind. God, you just tell me. Yeah. That's, that's presumptuous. Right. Like right. That, that is, I am sinfully refusing to obey God's command of how I am supposed to address those sort exactly. of things. Yep. And instead demanding that God meet me on my terms. And God doesn't do it that way. Right. <laughs> He's in charge of how we do these things. Right. Yeah. He has told us how we can know what's true. And he's never said that what we, what we feel in our hearts are true. In, in fact, uh, a verse that uh, is very common for, for Christians to recite, even Christians who aren't very familiar with uh, Mormonism, when they hear the, well, just pray about it, just, uh, you, you'll know in your heart that it's true if you just pray about it. A lot of Christians, and I would be with them, would, would quote Jeremiah 79, which says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So there's a problem. The problem is that what we think we experience, our, our hearts, what we think is right may not actually be right. It may not correspond with reality. Our heart is not the, the final arbiter of truth in the universe. It cannot dictate what's true. And worse than that, it's not just a neutral, it's, a, it's the problem. Our heart is the source of our, our sin. It, it's the, uh, uh, the place that, that is corrupted and, and, and twisted. And so not only is it just neutral and not trustworthy because it doesn't know, it will actually lie to us. It's desperately sick. We need to learn to be discerning about our heart. And we need to learn to test our experiences, test our feelings and our convictions against something that is objectively true, namely the word of God. Um, I... I think that sometimes it's helpful when explaining this on, uh, in a street level conversation um, to go to places like Romans 121. We talked a lot about Romans uh, last week, but this is in the part of Romans that's really talking about the downward spiral that occurred because of sin. Uh, Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what we see Paul saying is because of sin, Something happened to our minds and our hearts that they were twisted. They were darkened. So we cannot trust them to be a reliable source of truth. God has made it really clear multiple places in his word. There's a problem with our heart. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of similar things that Paul wrote in, uh, in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their mm. hearts. That's a great verse. Yeah. Um, and so let's say you w walk this out with uh, a Latter-day Saint. Sometimes their response will be, well, but it's not just our heart. We have a prophet and uh, our prophet guides us and leads us and tells us what's true. Um, I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations where we'll open the Bible and we'll be going back and forth about stuff. And they'll say, well, we cannot ever really know what, uh, how to interpret the Bible correctly. It's so confusing. That's why we need prophets. We need a prophet to tell us what's true and, and what's false. So the feelings and experiences and trust in the prophet really end up going hand in hand a lot of times uh, in the conversations. If you talk about one, you're almost certainly going to end up talking about the other because both end up being a kind of 
spiritual source of truth for them. And so when we talk about prophets, we got to look, well, what did the Bible say about prophets? Obviously, the Old Testament had prophets. We have Moses and, uh, you know, Elijah, Isaiah, so much of what we know about the nature of God and um, all of the Old Testament comes through the mouth of the prophets. So what do we think about prophets? How, how do we know if their prophets are genuine prophets? I think it's helpful to, to look at what Jesus said about prophets. Mm, Jesus absolutely. had some really intense warnings that there will come false prophets. He says in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, um, this, he said, but be, uh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So what is Jesus telling us? He's saying many false prophets are going to come. Well, what's a false prophet? False prophet is someone who claims to be hearing and receiving revelation from God and wanting to communicate it to God's people. A prophet was a mediator, communicated what God wanted to, to people. So a false prophet would be someone who claimed to do that, but did not actually receive revelation from God. Yes, and it could either be that they're lying or that they themselves are deceived, deceived right, either right. self-deluded or by deceiving spirits that were yeah. warned about elsewhere in Scripture. Because in that same chapter, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to describe there will going to be those in the day of judgment. They're going to stand before Jesus saying, we prophesied in your name. And we did all these great wonders in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. Then you get this yeah, impression that knew. they actually thought they were prophets. Right. They, they genuinely believed they were prophesying yeah. in the name of Jesus when they were not. Right. And Jesus did not know them. So either way, regardless of if they are intentionally deceiving people as, as uh, just wickedly, or if they are being deceived themselves, in either case, Jesus gives us a kind of metric that we can use to determine if a prophet is genuine or false. And um, for the record, the Bible had already given us uh, this stuff. Back in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses talks about the test for a prophet. If a prophet ever says something in the future uh, will come to pass, and then it doesn't, uh, that prophet is to be put to death uh, because it's a uh, that person's a false prophet. Additionally, if uh, that prophet leads God's people away from genuine worship of the one true God, that's another way that you can know that it's a false prophet. So already we have biblical precedent that the LDS prophets who draw our worship and praise away from the one true God that scripture reveals, we can already know because earlier in Deuteronomy that they're false prophets, but then Jesus raises the bar. Right, and interestingly, you, that same passage you quoted in Matthew 7 that talks about prophets and Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. I've had plenty, many Mormons in the street turn to that very passage claiming mm. that it vindicates their yeah, prophets yeah. because they'll say, you know them by their fruit. Look at the fruit of our church. Look at all the charitable Helped. work we've oh, done. Oh yeah, I've heard Look that a bunch the, of times too. all the generous so, yeah. things that they do. Look at all the, and, and uh, you know, there's several problems with that. First of all, in the very same sermon, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who do all their charitable giving publicly yeah, yeah, before, yeah. <laughs> before man for all to see. So the fact that right. they're publicly publishing this and boasting of it means that's that, problematic. Right, and, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, but even beyond that, 
um, in context, the the sheep's clothing just gonna, is the just outward yep. clean appearance. This is yes, we all recognize the false prophet who comes in rank obvious iniquity. Right. It's the one that comes looking clean and upstanding that you really have to test and inspect. And so, uh, you know, the fruit of a... They a, look like yes. they're, they're, right, they're yes. good. They yeah. look On like the outside, yeah. they look. And so how do you test them? Well, you test them by the fruit. What's the fruit? Right. I think uh, Aaron is the one who says this sometimes. What fruit does an apple tree give? I've heard him do that. Uh, an apple. Uh, what about an orange tree? Well, an orange. Well, what fruit does a prophet bear? Prophecy. You, uh, what what the prophet has said and taught and revealed, said God has revealed, that is the fruit that we can expect, uh, that we can inspect, uh, and that we can test. And so we look at what prophets have said, what they've taught, and we say, "All right, all right, you're claiming to be a prophet. You're saying God said this. Well, let's look at what God has already said. Let's look at what He's revealed, and let's see." Or what you is what you say? Does that match up with uh, what God has already revealed? What we know to be true? I think I can't help but think of the Bereans, who were uh, very noble because uh, when Paul came preaching the gospel. They said, oh, "Oh, hold on, let's just take a second here and verify what you're saying." And they searched the scriptures to see what was true. Right, and they weren't maligned for questioning an apostle. Right, they were praised for searching the scriptures to see if these things were true. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, I found that there is such a devotion to uh, the prophets of the LDS church that even if the prophet were to come out and say some, uh, just just hypothetically, crazy, horrendous teachings and, and actions, uh, that would still not shake people's faith in the prophets because they don't have any framework by which they test them. So I've asked people on the street, you know, what would you do if right now a prophet came down, you know, down, we're, we're right next to the church office building uh, when we're down there in the conference center. So a prophet came down here, came on the street, looked at you and said, God has told me, go and murder every person on the street in cold blood or go, you know, commit any number of uh, wicked things. Would you do that? I've had a shocking number of people say, yes, I would. I would. Um, what, if, what if the prophet said that, um, you know, Jesus was a sinner or that Joseph Smith didn't exist or something, you know, e that even violates what you, you believe? I've had so many people say, well, I'd have to pray about it to see if it's true. But uh, yeah, I, I would trust the prophet. And when you trust someone that much without any ability to question or test, that prophet has unlimited power to say whatever they want, whatever they want. And it's off limits for, they can't say anything about it. So it's good for us as Christians to say, no, test the prophets, inspect their fruit, inspect their teachings and their lives and everything. Look at what they've said, compare it to what God's already revealed. Especially when Jesus himself so frequently warned about that very thing. I mean, elsewhere, he's saying things like, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus is saying, look, just because someone comes and says they're a prophet, just because someone even seems to have miraculous signs and oh, yeah, wonders yeah. that vindicate their claim to be a prophet, yep. even then you do not inherently trust a prophet. Yep. You test the prophets. So the, uh, the word of God is held up and provides us God's objective standards that we hold 
even profits to. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I think it's uh, significant to note. Uh, and then there's some variance uh, and beliefs about this amongst Christians, but uh, the idea that a false prophet might perform miraculous works. There's a couple touch points in scripture that talk about that. And you have to say, well, okay, if they're, uh, if they're doing uh, miraculous works, then there's got to be some power behind them that's either doing those works or um, faking it well enough as to deceive people, even the elect, Matthew 24, 70. If possible, even the elect would have been deceived because they're so convincing if they weren't genuine. I know that's uh, debated in some, some ways. So we know that there are spirits that exist uh, that will, that will make, cause people to look to false prophets and, and uh, boost them up as trustworthy. Not only are there humans who will be false prophets and teach wrong things and lead people astray, but there will be spirits who could come and uh, deceive people, trick them, lure them into believing a lie. And this is why uh, at the beginning of Paul's, um, uh, uh, the, the epistle of Galatians, um, he says in uh, chapter one, verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So what uh, Paul is saying here is it is possible for an apostle or even an angel to preach a contrary to gospel to the one they had received. And he, he said to the one uh, preaching that contrary gospel, let that person be eternally condemned, whether apostle or spirit. So the idea that we might have false prophets and false spirits giving us false uh, teachings and confirming false things to us is something Paul recognizes in the very intro to his uh, to, to Galatians, where he is essentially saying, you have believed a false doctrine, church in uh, churches in Galatia. You have believed that you need to add something to faith in Jesus. You need to add uh, parts of old covenant, old requirements, circumcision and whatnot. And he's saying, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel you received. Anyone no. who preaches that is, now is let's, let him be a Christian. I mean, let, let, let's really, you know, be, be fair here. This is one passage. Paul could be just using hyperbole here, exaggerated language to make his point. Um, are you really suggesting that there would be angels that, that would appear to be angels from heaven giving visions and in fact that angel is lying yep 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 i uh i think that second corinthians 11 uh, 13 through 15 talks about this a little bit it says for such men are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of christ so we have false apostles and no wonder for even satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So Paul says there, Satan himself appears to be an angel of light, a good, noble spirit teaching true things, leading people to genuine worship of God. But in fact, it's Satan leading people astray, deceiving them. And so we need more than just appearances. Satan looks like a good angel. Prophets, they look like good guys. They, they do a lot of good. But we need to go deeper. How do we know 
this is a false prophet, a false apostle, or Satan himself. How can we know? Which means those things can't be the answer to the question, how do we know who God is, how we're made by, right with him? The true God, the true gospel. We can't, appe we can't appeal finally to, well, this guy says he's a prophet. Right. He did miracles. He saw angels. I saw an angel. Those things themselves can deceive, which means none of those are the answer to the question. But yeah. what about the, that inner testimony of a spirit? Mm. Yep. Yeah, and that is appealed to all the time. We, we talked about this just a little bit ago. But the idea that I've prayed about it and I received uh, uh, an answer in the, uh, in the form of a feeling. Some people go stronger than that. Some people say, uh, I had a spiritual experience where I, I saw a vision or I saw something in the temple or I, uh, I had the Holy Spirit confirm to me that this is true and nothing you could ever say will change my mind. I've had those exact words come out of people's mouths before um, because they have an, an experience that's supernatural and because it's supernatural, they determine, well, anything supernatural must be by God's hand. But... The Bible tells us that that's not true. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So here, there's a, there's a linking between false spirits and false prophets. So to the Latter-day Saint who says, I prayed about it and I just didn't have a feeling. I had an experience. I experienced um, a spirit telling me that this is true. That's not good enough. John says we need to test the spirits. And how do we test something? Well, again, what has God said? What has he revealed? Does this line up? If the spirit says there are many gods, you can become a god. I don't need to believe the spirit just because it's a supernatural event. I can know certainly and objectively that spirit is a false spirit. Why? God has already told us what he's like. God's already told us that we are not gods, that we will not become gods. He alone is God, the most high. Yeah, and so we have all of these different authorities that someone might appeal to, to get around the straightforward teaching of the word of God. But at the end of the day, all of those are subject to, they're, they're fallible, they can deceive, they can, there are, there are deceiving spirits we're warned about, there are fallen angels that we're warned about, there are false prophets, false apostles. The, the only final uh, foundation of truth we're given is that which was breathed out by God yes, himself. Yeah, yep, yep. But those, those scriptures, why can't there be more of those? Hmm. Why can't, why, why, how could we say that there couldn't be another Isaiah today giving us, uh, giving us another book of Isaiah? There couldn't sure, be another sure. Jeremiah. There couldn't be, why, why shouldn't we expect another figure like that? So essentially, who would, who would give us something, another book equal to scripture yeah. that we would, uh, um, that we would then have to regard as that same level of authority as what the Bible is. You're asking essentially why uh, why couldn't there be a prophet figure, a, a mediator who reveals to us new things that are uh, true and consistent? Why do we just say, no, that, that's not the way things are. This is what it is, and we ought not expect more than, than just that. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. 
Um, I often take people to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, the intro to the book of Hebrews is one of just the most excellent passages in all, uh, all Scripture. The first four verses are remarkable. And the first two are great when talking Latter-day Saints about this. The verse says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So I'll set this up at many times in, um, in Israel's history, you know, lots of different times, various methods and means God communicated things to the prophets. That's exactly what it says. Many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay. We, we agree with that. The question is, why does that not still continue? Well, verse two says, but in these last days, now he has spoken to us by his son. We appointed the heir of all things. When you look closely at the at many times and in many ways, it's not just saying, oh, there are lots of different times and ways that God did this, but it's saying there, there was like a, a fragment and a fraction of what God wanted to say and, and all those prophets. He was slowly giving piece by piece to different prophets, but that's not the case anymore. In the Son, the Word of God Himself, the ultimate revelation of the Father, God has revealed everything in him. Jesus is the ultimate, final prophet because he is the complete revelation of everything God has for us to know. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. So before we had an inferior system, system that wasn't as good. We had prophets who learned little things here and there. They would tell, uh, say it to us, but there was a problem. Those prophets died. They, uh, they were killed actually by Israel. Uh, unfaithful Israel put them to death and the prophets, uh, they could not continue in that role, continuing to give revelation. Not so with Jesus. Not so with the word of God, who's the revelation of the Father. He continues forever as the ultimate final mediator between God and man. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this is important because part of the role of the prophet was a mediatory right, role. Exactly, yeah. uh, in, uh, particularly in the, the Old Covenant, there were Old Covenant mediators. There were priests that appealed to God on behalf of the people. And then there were prophets who appealed to the people on behalf of right, God. Right, yep, yep, so both they were, they were mediators. They, they, yeah, it was two different, there were, so there were abundance of mediators in the Old Covenant system. And yet both are fulfilled completely. I, I was just going to say that. In fact, the book of Hebrews, that's like, what, that's kind of the point of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is all we need now. There were, there were prophets, there were priests, there were kings. Jesus is now our ultimate prophet, our, our final priest, and our eternal king. All three of those are perfectly fulfilled in the work of Jesus. And because he's resurrected, he forever continues as that mediator. And so uh, in Luke, Jesus actually says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. So Jesus himself there is saying that the law and the prophets existed up until the final old covenant prophet, John the Baptist. And at that point, the kingdom of, of God inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Jesus, those things uh, now mean that, that we have a 
better system than the law and the prophets. We have an ultimate prophet who reveals everything. Another passage I've always found compelling on this same subject is, I believe it was in Matthew 21, when Jesus gives the parable of the wicked tenants. Mm. It's this story where um, uh, the... God's relationship with his covenant people, with Israel, and their, their rebellion uh, is compared to, in you know, the parable and the analogy, to God, to a master, a landowner, who rents out his land to a group of tenants who work in the vineyard, and then they're supposed to surrender a portion of the crop to the landowner where he gains his profit, but they refuse to. Mm. They just hold it back to themselves. And so the master, the landowner, keeps sending servants to go and... Um, rebuke them for this and collect what uh, what they what the, what was the due to the landowner mm-hmm. and they keep just beating up the servants killing some of them right. throwing others out to, uh, tormenting them and uh, and then the landowner says last of all I will send my son for surely they will trust my son or they, you know they'll listen to my son and then when they when they kill the son after that comes the judgment that if the whole parable is undone if after that the landowner starts sending servants More, again. yeah, right, and right. So, that know, is the final, yes, ultimate Yes, uh, the, 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 the final messenger sent from the master to his people is the son. Yeah. And after that, the next thing on the calendar is the judgment. Yeah, the great, is, great. And so example. it's, you know, whatever, of course, you know, there are New Testament passages about the gift of prophecy and, and a, a sense in which a kind of... Pro- but but if we're talking about the office of prophet... What, the mediator. What, yes, that's what, what Isaiah was, what Jeremiah was. And, and, let's, and let's face it, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, identifies himself as a prophet like Moses. He puts himself in that category of prophet. That, yeah, like you said, that's different than the gift of prophecy. That's, a, right. that's another conversation for another for time. For another time. Yeah. But if we're dealing with, did prophets, like the Old Testament prophets, did that authoritative office of prophet, that mediator position, that revealing position, scripture writing position, continue after the apostolic era, after the revelation in Christ. Scripture continuously says, no. Yeah, right. We have what we need, and his name is Jesus. And uh, Amen. To look for more than that would be downplaying the role that Jesus has now. Jesus is what we need. He really is enough, not just in our salvation, but also also in revealing to us all that God wants us to know. So, you know, we've established that our feelings, our our experiences and our convictions, uh, they're not reliable sources of uh, spiritual truth and authority. We we can't trust them and take them to the bank. We've seen that false prophets are... uh, prophesied to come by Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus said many false prophets will come. The whole New Testament warns numerous times that false prophets will come. We should expect them. They should be plenty there, numerous. And we know that there are spirits who may appear as good spirits, but actually are uh, workers of Satan. All these things we know. So we're left with the, the question then, which we've already answered numerous times, but what can we trust? Well, we can trust the Bible. And when you bring that up to uh, Latter-day Saints on the street, um, a lot of times, if you, depending on the conversation, if they kind of feel um, like you're on a verse and they're, they don't know where to go from there, they'll say, well, the Bible was, it was translated, it, there, there are errors in translation, there are problems with it, mistakes. And so we, we can't trust uh, what the Bible says. And what I found is that when they say, 
uh, translation, they don't actually mean translation most of the time. They mean transmission. Uh, what they mean is that the, they believe that the Bible, from the time it was written to what we have now, that over time it was corrupted. I've heard them use the example of the telephone game. You, you know, whisper to someone, you have a message and you whisper it on and it goes around the table and it comes back and two kids just randomly made up another phrase and it's totally different and everyone giggles. That's how they perceive that the Bible was transmitted throughout history. But the truth is that's just not true. That's just not historically how the Bible was transmitted. So oftentimes I've just walked through very briefly. Uh, like I, I don't actually think that's correct. If you look into that, instead of just being like a chain, a one-to-one -one chain, there were uh, manuscripts that dispersed throughout the known world. There were geographical dispersions which resulted in different manuscript traditions. So if yeah, there were errors, I'm not saying there were, there were errors in this uh, you know, manuscript here and all those after it had this error here and then this manuscript here and all those after it had this error and this one here had that error. But when you combine them and look at all of them, you can see very clearly, oh, that, that right there, that was obviously a mistake here because all the rest of these manuscripts that were down here, they don't have that mistake. And this one has a mistake here, but none of these have it. And so you can start to piece together uh, what the original act actually said. Some, sorry. No, yes, absolutely. And I mean, I'll probably do an episode dealing with oh, all cool. of this yeah, much yeah. more uh, in, in, uh, in detail and uh, uh, with you know, more specific sources and yeah. things like that later on. But yeah, in brief, you have, we have uh, remarkably early manuscripts for nearly every book in the New Testament. Um, we have new, more than one remarkably early manuscript for most books in the New Testament. We have more numerous manuscripts in the original language than uh, for the New Testament books than any other uh, yeah. um, book uh, from antiquity. Sure. We have ancient translations. So you want to say, well, it wasn't translated correctly. The thing is we can compare it to where different cultures at different times with different backgrounds and different agendas who weren't all under the same authority. No one ever had control of the process. Right. Where they yeah. could force a change. And that's always the, the thought and, yes. that someone controlled it and yeah, corrupted there's all, it there's, there's all these, You'll hear conspiracy theories about Emperor Constantine or yeah. the Council of Nicaea, which, which actually had literally nothing to do with the canon of scripture. But again, <laughs> subject for another episode. Um, but, you know, even if that had tried to happen, there were already Christians outside the Roman Empire who he would have had no authority over in the Persian Empire and in India and other places that that, that were copying the scriptures there too. Right. And so we, the, uh, the way that God preserved his word is such that we, it's not the way we would have done it. We would have wanted some perfect copy beamed down from heaven that we could look at, but then you would always have to have, you'd have the question, well, how do I know that that's yeah. from God and not this from This is us? testable. Yes, that's God's it. way of, his, his providential way of preserving his word is, it's, it's just, it's amazing mm, that when yeah. you really look at it and we can be so sure that we do know what we do have preserved within the manuscripts that are around, what the original is. Even if there are a few minor verses that we look at our options and we're like, well, it might be this one or it might be this one. We do know that it's one of those two options and yeah. none of those change any right. even yeah, exactly. minor doctrine of the Christian faith. And honestly, um, when I have given just a, a little bit of pushback on that and said, I, I don't think that that's true. I very rarely have had pushback against that. Pe people really just take that as something that 
every, you know, they think everyone believes that. Everyone knows that the Bible is, is uh, messed up. And it's just such an, uh, an assumed kind of thing that when you challenge it with even just a shred of, that's not historically the way it worked. Uh, very rarely will you have someone really go to town and, and make that the hill they die and they say, oh, um, oh, okay. And then you can move forward with the conversation. So normally I don't spend tons of time there. I mark Agreed. it. I say, Agreed. Uh, I, I don't think that you're right about that. And if you want, go just do a little research when you go home. It's literally a Google search will clear a lot of this up for you. Um, you know, and so. Yeah, half the time you just hand them the. the yeah, the, the G- track GLM, that explains the GLM. it. Yeah. Hey, this is why you can trust the Bible. Now let's move on with the exactly. conversation. Yep. And, yep. and one of the things that I've frequently done is to, if I'm looking at a specific passage and they try to throw out the shield of, well, the Bible, you know, hasn't been preserved correctly or it's been corrupted. It hasn't been translated correctly. Any of those variations, I'm like, okay, yeah, but do you think that this verse is true? Mm, yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that Jesus really said this? Well, yeah, I do. It's okay, more of a cop-out well, than, yeah, exactly. than, than because when you're, did most you, of the time. Do you yeah. honestly believe that Jesus said this? Well, yeah, I do. Okay, well, then we don't need to worry about the rest of that right now yeah. because Jesus did say this. And this contradicts what you And I want to encourage Christians who maybe don't know all the specifics about that. You don't need to be afraid about the things you don't know. If you're not familiar with all the manuscripts and whatnot, you don't need to feel like you can't talk to a Latter-day Saint because they might bring that up. You can just say, listen, I, I've heard that that's not true. I don't know the specifics. Uh, something I should look into. I would encourage you to look into it. But what I'm saying is, if this is true, let's just say this is correctly translated, transmitted, whatever. Let's say it is. Would that change the way you think about it? So try and cut off all that and say, that's not what we're talking about. If this is true, is that a problem? And then leave it you know, on, on them to maybe do the research if you just don't know the specifics. I think sometimes people get scared away by lack of knowledge. And it's not reason to be scared away. It, it's something not that every Christian not can do, even if you don't know everything. It, it's yeah. actually really good in a conversation to say, I'm not sure. That's a verse. I've, first time I came across 1 Corinthians 15, 29 about baptism for the dead. I don't remember. I know I read First uh, Corinthians 15 before, but that verse just didn't mean anything to me until I started working in a Mormon context. And I, first time that came up, I said, "I'm not sure about that verse. I, I'm going to have to come back to that one." I, I I gave a you know a quick answer. I think this is maybe what it is, but uh, that's honestly not the crux of what we're talking about here, and, and take it somewhere else. So, yeah, uh, when we look at what the Bible says about itself, that mm. is really mm. significant mm. for us because. Um, does the Bible think that the Bible is trustworthy? Does the Bible say that it's worth uh, trusting in? Second Timothy 3.16 is one of just the core verses on this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So breathed out by God, God breathed. Uh, literally what, what comes out of his mouth is what scripture is. So this, this is a super high view. Of, of scripture. I mean, this uh, to say that it's God breathed from the very mouth of God, God is not someone who lies, is not someone who will deceive us or trick us. That means that if, if it really is from the mouth of God, then it really can be trusted. And if it really can be trusted, then what it said in the verse, reproof, correction, training and righteousness, we can actually use it to equip us to know things about God. And to know things about salvation, it is a reliable source of truth. And I mean, this is certainly the attitude that Jesus had about salvation. Certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when we're talking to the Pharisees and said, have you not read what God spoke to you Yeah. in, in the scripture? And so the, uh, the scripture is treated as the living, 
not, not just this was once the word of God, but it's out of date now and it's been replaced by something else, but that God spoke to you. Uh, the Pharisees were held accountable to that as if God said it to them that very day, even though he didn't. He yeah. said it hundreds of years ago, but it still was as as much the, the active living word of God as if God had spoken it four seconds. Yes. Ago. Yep. I just really I love Psalm 19 just to close out here on, on this um, Psalm 19, verse 7 onward says this, The law of the Lord, or the instruction of the Lord, the teaching of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That was a really high view the instruction of the Lord, it enlightens our eyes. It makes wise the simple. It revives our soul. So as Christians, we say, this is how I know. I have tested the prophets and I have tested the spirits and I found them wanting because they do not match up. They do, they do not, uh, they're not verified by that which God spoke, which is God breathed, which is able to teach me and instruct me and enlighten my eyes. It doesn't match up. Therefore, I am bound by my conscience and my God to reject the LDS prophets and apostles. I would be dishonoring God to trust them and to look to them for uh, authority, for spiritual authority and truth. Well, I would love to continue this conversation yeah. <laughs> for a whole other hour, but thank you so much, Bradley. Oh, yeah. For, uh, uh, for joining me for this and for for sticking it out for two full hour episodes. Happy and to. Delightful. Is, uh, uh, so I hope you all have been blessed by Bradley and by this discussion and most of all by the word as it was cited. Uh, so guys, uh, we have the surest possible um, foundation for what we believe as biblical Christians, and we never need to shy away from that. We can speak in confidence, in boldness. In fact, that is the only compassionate thing for us to do for those who have been deceived by things that, but for the grace of God, would have deceived us too. And so, uh, but be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Uh, and, you know, if you if you want some some resources you can use to uh, to engage your LDS uh, friends and neighbors, I encourage you go to go to GodLovesMormons.com and look at the work that Bradley and uh, and Rich are doing over there and watch their videos, print their tracks. I think you'll benefit a lot from that. And uh, tune in next week as well, and we will continue digging into God's Word and exploring His truth and refuting error, and hopefully, Lord willing, equipping you guys for ministry to do his work. Thank you, and God bless.